You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to talk about the logistics of maintaining friendships. But first, let's catch up on life lately. What's new with you, Abby? I'm going to give an update on my new toilet paper experience. Excellent. That I think you're also participating in as well, so I'd love to hear the update from you. I'm on board. I saw the Instagram post, got the (laughs) coupon code, and I'm all set. So we have been, for a long time, trying off and on different brands of recycled toilet paper. Mm -hmm. And I find that some are better than others. Some are too soft. Some disintegrate. Some are hard like sandpaper and scratchy, (laughs) which is not very nice. And then often they come packaged in giant plastic, Yes, which is a challenge to do anything with or find somewhere to recycle or whatever. So heard about this new toilet paper company, direct-to-consumer toilet paper called Who Gives a Crap, (laughs) tried out their 48-pack of rolls (laughs) with a referral code from a friend, and I'm pretty happy with it. Mm -hmm. The toilet paper does get shipped to your house, so there's packaging there, but it's all cardboard and paper. It's much more able to be recycled, and actually Plum loves the individual toilet wrappings because they're cute Mm -hmm. and she likes to color on the other side Mm. so we even get a reuse out of them before (laughs) we recycle does she like to use them before they've been used as well my kids have been stacking them and making different creations with them while they're still in the paper wrapping you know I bet she would like that I have not allowed that because I don't want toilet paper rolls all over my house but Mm -hmm. if we get desperate for an activity that's a good idea (laughs) We had good fun and then put them away once it started frustrating me. That's nice. Yeah. It's good quality TP, plenty soft, triple ply, so not too thin. My one annoyance with them is that sometimes the individual layers get separate and so then the squares don't tear off evenly, Mm. Mm -hmm. but you can always unroll to the correct spot and re-roll. Also, I feel like the rolls are really dense and last a long time. Mm -hmm. So we got this toilet paper at least six weeks ago, and I think we've only used, I mean, not very much of the giant box so far. 48 rolls is going to last us a good amount of time. It's been great for me just having the 48 rolls because, (laughs) as you know, I am an underbuyer, and I didn't like buying the kind that came in plastic, and so we just buy at our co-op the individual paper-wrapped rolls, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'd usually just get two or three, so we were constantly on the verge of running out of toilet paper. (laughs) It wasn't a great situation, and so when I saw that you had this, I thought, that's perfect. One purchase, comes to my house, we'll be all set on toilet paper for the foreseeable future. So listeners, we will put our referral codes in the show notes should you wish to purchase your own TP extravaganza. (laughs) Sarah, what's new with you? I have been reveling in the fact that this school year has been such an easier transition than last year. Last year was HP's first year in kindergarten, so it was a new school, new schedule, a whole new experience. Mm -hmm. And E's first year in preschool. So that was also a whole new set of things. Where this year, we've already done the preschool before, already been to that school before, already used to the schedule for HP. And I wouldn't say that everything's perfect, but Mm -hmm. just in comparison, it's felt so much better. And I've been noticing that and feeling very grateful. Nice. Now let's talk about what we've been reading. 
Abby, what's your latest read? I recently finished Hamilton's Battalion, which was a collection of three romance novellas, Hmm. one each by Rose Lerner, Courtney Milan, and Alyssa Cole. I definitely thought when I saw your Instagram post that it was about Hamilton the musical. There was a book about Hamilton the musical that I read. Okay. (laughs) There also was this book that I read around the same time, so it's fine that you're confused. (laughs) And really... It's a lot of overlapping because it's people taking liberties with the history. Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling really into that as regards the life of Alexander Hamilton right now. The backstory, which is true, is that Eliza Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton's widow, collected stories about her husband after his death. That's the setting for these three novellas. And so each one of them is a separate story where Hamilton intersects somewhat. But it's really focused on completely made up historical folk, even though in some cases they're based on real people. So you get this peek at each of three different stories. Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was pretty quick. I learned things about the Revolutionary War that I had no idea about. And I really loved that these romance novels focused on diverse characters and love stories. Two of the three stories are non-hetero romances, mm-hmm. which was totally awesome. Parts were a little slow. Some of the history, I was like, "Eh, I don't need that. So I sort of skimmed it. But otherwise, it was exactly what I would want in a romance novel. And it was a lovely three-in-one experience. Nice. What have you been reading? I just finished reading Girls and Sex by Peggy Orenstein. And she also wrote the book Cinderella Ate My Daughter, Mm. if you've heard of that, about princess culture. This one was a nonfiction book where she interviews young women about their experiences with sex and then summarizes the findings Mm. and groups them into these themes. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of individual stories as you go through, but then she tries to tie it all together to make these broader points about what's happening in our society Mm. and seeing the connections between them. Does she include research too, or is it mostly just the stories? Mm. Research is included also. Okay. It was really thought-provoking and getting the wheels turning about how I want to engage my kids with these conversations, both now and as they grow up. Mm -hmm. And it left me feeling really strongly about the conversations I want to have with HP in particular. Mm. And it's not at all that I don't want to have those conversations with E, but thinking about consent and respect and what that looks like. It's just as important for boys, and they're often left out of those conversations in a way that's incredibly problematic. Absolutely. I would say that's one of the big problems culturally is that the onus is on women Mm -hmm. to either have sex or not have sex, or their behavior and their clothing and their everything is the reason when every single one of these encounters also involved a man who made decisions. Yes, absolutely. And I've also been reading it as everything's happening with the Supreme Court nominee and hearing those allegations. It felt particularly heavy and relevant in that context. I bet. My main criticism of the book is that there were a lot of perspectives that were not explored. So I loved what she did, but it felt like there were some pieces missing. Yeah, makes sense. I would absolutely recommend it. I think it would be a great book to also read with your partner to start those conversations about your family's values around sex and sexuality and how you want to integrate those conversations into your family's life. Yeah. Let's move into our main segment for today, which is all about friendship logistics. 
way back in episode 14, we talked about friendship, but it was more general and about how our friendships have evolved through the years. And then a listener, Natanya, reached out to us and suggested that we do an episode really diving into how we make friendships work, especially after becoming parents. Mm. Let's start by talking about our general friendship needs right now and what you consider to be the ideal size for your social circle. I really value having three to five close friends. These would be people who know what's going on with me and I know what's going on with them that I'm in fairly regular touch with. Mm -hmm. I think that's usually at least a few in town, but long distance friends are part of that group in my mind too. I also love having friends for certain things. So friends whose kids play well with Plum who live close by. These would be people Mm -hmm. that we just run into at activities or the park or come over to each other's houses sort of spontaneously. I love my book club friends. I love my yoga friends and my science communicator friends. So I don't necessarily keep in touch with everyone to the same degree. I wouldn't say I'm in touch with them regularly, but I so appreciate when I do see them and knowing that they're out there and have these shared interests with me. Mm -hmm. In terms of how that's changed since having Plum, I think my circles have definitely gotten smaller. And I think a lot of that is because there's just so much more happening within our family. But also, I really appreciate that having a kid has paved the way for new friendships where our connection is about that shared experience of caring for a, a toddler. Yes. What's the status of your friendships these days, Sarah? I've always preferred having a few close friends over a wide circle. And learning about being a highly sensitive person, that was one of the descriptors that really resonated with me, Mm. was this idea of feeling really connected to a few people and valuing those close relationships. Yeah. But I think since becoming an adult and moving several times throughout my 20s, I have really come to appreciate the benefits of that wide network and Mm -hmm. of having the people that you just run into at the grocery store and see at the park or at the library story time. Right. And that makes me feel really integrated into the community and like I'm a part of something bigger and Mm -hmm. that even if I'm not deeply known by all those people, I am seen. Right. I don't think when I was younger that I fully appreciated what that meant because I always grew up in the same community and that felt Mm. more in the background. Right. Where now that feels like a mark of truly being a part of a place. Mm. I remember my mom telling me that she felt like it took two years to really feel rooted in a place and that she could tell she was when she ran into someone she knew at the grocery store just by happenstance. And I found that to be really true for my own life. That's some general information about our social circle needs, but how much actual social time do you feel like you need outside of your family? I think I need a medium amount of social time. This is another thing that has changed since having Plum. I used to do many more social things. I think some of that is my specific kid, that she is pretty chatty and extroverted. So it's a lot of interaction time that she and I have together. Mm -hmm. And because of that, if I have an option of doing something, I tend to want more quiet time since I'm parenting the rest of the time. It's definitely a lot less social time and a lot more downtime than I'm used to. What about for you? I feel like I need a good amount. And I would say that I feel the opposite that 
I almost need more time since having kids Hmm. than I did before. That's fascinating. I think being a stay-at-home parent has helped me get it in really easily. Mm. Kids get together and play and the grownups get together and chat. Yeah. And that's also helped me make more connections as we've moved. So I wonder how much of that is parenting versus not versus being in a new place and then needing to make adult friendships and so Mm. seeking it out more. I like to have at least two or three get-togethers with friends each week, Mm. if not more than that. But most of that is during the day. So when E is not in preschool, we're usually getting together with folks on those days at the park or at the library or somewhere around town. The big shift for me, I think, was once my kids got older. So maybe I felt more like you of needing less when they were much, much younger and still in that baby not sleeping phase. But now that that is receding, (laughs) I am more interested in going out with friends and having something planned in the evenings every other week Hmm. or getting together with other couples on the weekend. But when I was not sleeping, any evening activity seemed like the absolute worst idea anyone had ever thought of. (laughs) And that's so funny because we do sleep, but I still Mm -hmm. feel that way. Mm -hmm. And so I do think it's so interesting how things have lined up differently for us. We moved here and I needed max social time to make my networks and meet my friends. Right. And then we had them established Mm -hmm. when we had kids and then I backed off. But things lined up differently for y'all. They did. It's kind of hard to tease out all of what was actually causing what right within that. Totally. Another thing that is different with having kids is figuring out how to actually schedule in any social time and negotiating that with your partner and the time off that they need and fitting that into family life. Right. What does that look like for you guys? This question makes me wonder if some of the reason why I am not craving as much social time is because it is such a pain to plan. (laughs) But what it looks like right now is that most of my social events are recurring. Book club happens on the same Thursday of every month. And then I try and schedule a dinner with friends every month, usually toward the beginning of the month on a Friday evening. And then I feel like I get social time teaching yoga or going to classes and doing science communication work and volunteering related stuff with the local science communicators group that I'm part of. Mm -hmm. We work around Andrew's schedule for that or occasionally we'll call in a babysitter like if I need to leave early to teach a class the babysitter will come for an hour and a half and then Andrew will do the bedtime routine. Mm -hmm. Most of Andrew's time away is working But he occasionally will see a friend or go on a pub run, which is like a group run. Then you have beers after. And those usually can fit in no problem into our schedule as is. We definitely are in constant communication about it. And some things are more last minute. But I think he and I both do much better if we can plan in advance. Yes. And kind of anticipate what the week is going to look like. In terms of when we're expected to be solo parenting when we didn't necessarily expect that. Yes, so hard. Or when we might be feeling like we really do need to get out of the house and Mm -hmm. that partner will be available and amenable to that. It has also been my experience that last minute plans lead to frustration and resentment. Yes. Where saying it in advance, it's very easy for everyone to mentally prepare and 
be happy to offer that to the other partner. Yeah. <laughs> I think in general, I need more social time than Neil does. So in terms of a balance between us getting out, I am usually the one going out more. Mm-hmm. But it's also because childcare is skewed in my direction. So I feel that there's also a different type of need for being outside of the house and doing something different. Yeah. That it's not as though going to work is relaxing for him, but it's a different kind of stress. And I think creates different needs for the off time than what I experience as the primary childcare provider during the day. Definitely. I think work has at least some social aspect. Mm-hmm. So even if it's not social by choice and social for pleasure, you're still expending social energy if you're working with other humans. <laughs> right. Or even just on lunch, you could take a walk or chat with somebody or you're still getting some of those breaks in that feel different. And don't necessarily happen at home. Yes. I was much more aware of taking time out when our kids were younger Mm. because it felt like so much more of an ask. Right. But now that they are older, the evenings just feel less hectic and feels like less of a burden on either partner if one of us wants to be gone. Mm -hmm. Our rule of thumb is to always say yes if one partner has a social event or needs some time away. It's really hard for me to think of an example when one of us would have asked the other person and they would have said no. Yeah. While we try and avoid last minute plans for all the reasons you said, (laughs) I also have found that as the kids are getting older, that's also getting easier to roll with things in a way that felt very overwhelming and horrible (laughs) even just two years ago. But if we're doing last minute plans, those are usually family group plans as opposed to oh, I just got invited out, I'm headed out without notice because I think that's still frustrating. (laughs) Yes, exactly. One of the challenges of friendships and our current society is that people are constantly moving and Mm -hmm. the older Mm -hmm. we get, the more friends we're accumulating from these different phases and times of our lives. How are you prioritizing keeping in touch with long distance friends versus investing in friends where you live? As I've already mentioned a bit, I think I prioritize both of those less since having a kid, but I think I prioritize both pretty evenly. With local friends, it tends toward the more spontaneous social interaction that we'll meet people at the park last minute or we'll see people at the co-op and then just sit and visit for a little bit while the kids run around. I do think even though I'm prioritizing it less time-wise, I appreciate connecting with both long-distance and close-by friends, maybe even more than I did before Mm. I had kids. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's mutual, especially with the people who I'm close to who have also had kids, that we both really value each other and we really Mm want to stay in touch and we really want to see each other or talk when we can, but also that there's a lot of understanding around it not necessarily working out to the same frequency as maybe it would have before. And Mm -hmm. I feel really appreciative of that. So the flip side of that is, have you found it harder to maintain friendships with people who don't have kids after having Plum? I think that I've been really lucky in that I tend to have a very similar life path to most of the people that I'm still close with and that the ones that I don't My childless friends are super understanding and generous with me. 
are willing to do things where I can bring Plum, like meet a friend for lunch. And also we have this two and a half year old companion to our adult (laughs) conversation. And I feel really thankful for that. But to be honest, the people that I am in contact with the most and am probably closest to now are sharing this experience of parenting young kids. I had a different experience in that I had kids before a lot of my good friends did. Yeah. I do think I kept in touch with a lot of people less, but not specifically because they didn't have kids, just because in general, my level of communication dropped. Mm. It was still so important to me to have those relationships because even if they weren't understanding from personal experience everything I was going through, those were the people who knew me. Mm. And the people I became friends with that had kids were new friendships. Yeah. And that was really important to me too. But it was so different from somebody who had known me for the last decade. Right. And I also appreciated that our conversations didn't always revolve around me being a parent Mm -hmm. and that having those friends who didn't have kids, it kept up this different type of conversation. Yeah. In terms of the balance between in-person versus long-distance friends, I think that as I've gotten older, it's shifted more to being where I am. For me, part of that was I held on really tightly to friendships in my 20s and Mm. Over time, I've wanted to shift it to being where I am and investing where I am. Yeah. And not to abandon previous friendships, but I was able to accept that the constant communication wasn't necessary because with those people, I'd always be able to pick up where I left off. Nice. When you are keeping in touch with friends, both long distance and in person, what are your favorite ways to do that? And how has that changed if it has? With long-distance friends, I love FaceTime way more than I did before. I mean, I always liked video chatting, but I find that with long-distance friends who have kids who also want to FaceTime with Plum, then that's actually an activity that she and I can do together while she's awake. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so for that same reason, I like to see people in person if I can to be able to include her. Mm -hmm. It feels really tough for me to fit in social time, whether that's in person or long distance, because I'm trying to work while not parenting and parenting for most of the rest of the time. So really, double duty social events are where it's at. Those kind of social events are also my favorite kind, because (laughs) it means that in the evenings, I can still just do whatever I want. And it feels like a win all around that I am getting fulfilled talking to another adult. And my child or children are happy to be socially interacting. And I feel like this is the theme of the episode, (laughs) is that it gets easier as your kids get older. But that has also been true in this arena, where they are at ages now where they can play completely independently for hours at a time when we're all together. It sounds truly amazing. And I found that one of the keys to that for my family is doing smaller play dates mm. as opposed to really large group things, that there are just so many more social dynamics with that that often do need a little more guidance from right. the adults, where when it's just them getting together with one friend, I mean, they're totally set, which also makes it feel like the adults can really socialize in a way that when I had a baby and a toddler, you couldn't finish a sentence before someone needed something And it was constantly disjointed. 
for long distance friends. I am not a big FaceTime fan, as you know, because that's not something... That's not something we ever do, yeah. (laughs) You're right. In the past, I used to do really long phone calls and really long emails. (laughs) Now, I love to use Voxer, which feels like the benefits of a phone call without having to coordinate scheduling. Mm -hmm. I also love texting when it's in the background of my life and I'm having a fun conversation but not when I feel like this would be so much more efficient in another form. Yeah, and for me, texting really feels like a supporting communication tool Mm. that Mm -hmm. I don't mind filling in here and there, but that's usually with people who I'm already talking on the phone to or voxing with or FaceTiming Mm -hmm. with at some other time. Yes, that is a very good point. And then I really love trips to see friends, and I think I value that even more now I may not be keeping up with you in the hecticness of everyday life, but planning some solid time to catch up in person. It feels really indulgent and nurturing. That's so interesting that you feel that way about trips because I think I am not in the point yet where traveling doesn't feel draining because it feels like it takes so much logistical support to get to the point of traveling, even if I'm traveling Mm -hmm. by myself. Mm-hmm. That there's so much coordination that needs to happen childcare wise before I even leave. Mm-hmm. There's the financial piece that comes into it. And then even while I'm there, I feel like I still have a lot of things in my head where it's not quite as restful as it sounds for you. But mm-hmm. I'm hoping that that's one of those things that gets better as you have older kids. Yeah, I think it is. I've also always been one of those people who can just block out any responsibilities that I have and things that I'm supposed to be doing and enjoy whatever social time I'm having. I wonder if part of my relaxation around trips is the ability to block out all that stressful stuff and be where I am. Maybe. Listeners, we would love to hear about how you maintain the friendships in your lives and how that has changed as your different life scenarios have evolved and your favorite tools for communicating with friends. Let's end, as we always do, by sharing something we've been eating. I'm going to share about a chicken pot pie. We've had some culinary challenges. Neil does not eat dairy during his allergy season. Mm. He finds that that makes it so he doesn't need to medicate, which is amazing. Yeah. Also sad because we eat a lot of dairy. Yes. As I was getting ready to meal plan... A week or two ago, I was Googling dairy-free recipes, Mm. and one that came up was chicken pot pie. And I thought, ooh, that sounds really hearty and filling and amazing. It's even easier than you think it would be because it uses phyllo dough on the top. Ooh, I love phyllo dough. Me too. So you don't actually do the full crust. You Mm -hmm. saute everything, add flour and broth, and let that thicken on the stovetop. Mm-hmm. And then put it in the pan with the phyllo dough on top with oil spread between the layers and then bake that in the oven. And so you still get that doughy, crispiness on the top, Mm -hmm. but it felt pretty doable for a weeknight dinner. Yeah. And also that savory, satisfying fall kind of meal. And does the broth thicken up with the flour to make a real gravyish gravy? Because I feel like mm-hmm. when I've made chicken pot pie before, I think that I put milk in the gravy or cream in the gravy to make it more dairyish. 
It would probably only be improved if you were to add things like cream to the recipe and then still <laughs> just use the phyllo dough. Uh-huh. But I didn't feel like it was lacking when I ate it. Nice. What have you been eating? I want to talk about a Fido sandwich, which is an imitation of a sandwich that is at one of our favorite places in Nashville called Fido. (laughs) And I've talked about a baked turkey and brie sandwich before, which they Mm -hmm. also did there. But this is a vegetarian version. Okay. Also has focaccia bread. Also has brie. I recommend a double cream brie instead of a triple cream because when you put it in the oven, the triple cream really falls apart. Mm. So the double cream gets nice and melty, but mostly keeps its shape. Basically, just put the cheese on the bread and put it in the oven to broil or toast. Not for very long. Take it out. We add roasted garlic aioli, mash, a little green that's kind of like spinach, but it's smaller Mm -hmm. and kind of has a nutty flavor. Mm -hmm. And then a sliced up green apple to give it Mm. some tang and crisp. Yes. All of those things go on cold. And then you just have the warm brie and the warm bread. And it's delicious. That sounds wonderful. I'm not even sure that Fido still offers this sandwich at their restaurant. So really the only way that you can get it is as an imitation at your house. (laughs) You're welcome, listeners. (laughs) That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. Uh, I already feel like I've said all these same phrases. Let me think of a new one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. You're frozen on Skype. I don't know if you can hear me or not. I think I lost you.